Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to chapter 2, verses 5. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the things and the things that are um, sorry, the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom for God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and the redemption. Therefore, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And so, if it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of God. If you can keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, and if you don't have your Bibles, um, the the passage is printed, um, and you can pick it up from the back. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you that you are God who reveals your great power through the foolishness of the cross. And Lord, as we come to the message of the cross, Lord, would you remind us um, that it is the power that has saved us, that has freed us. And Lord, help us to live as a church in the way of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About 10 years ago, a scholar published a book saying that there was no crucifixion before Jesus. 
the reason why, the reason for this was because there's, there's very few description of the crucifixion before the coming of Jesus, before the time of Jesus. And if there was no description, well, it probably wasn't uh, uh, widely practiced, was the argument. And to this, another historian, Tom Holland, writes, The surprise is less that we should have so few few detailed descriptions in ancient literature of what crucifixion might actually involve than that we should have any at all. Holland says, It should be a surprise that we have any description of the crucifixion. Actually, these four descriptions of uh, the crucifixion, it should be a surprise to all of us. I'm going to just pause for one second because I think the camera's not working. The thing is, the thing about the crucifixion was that it was so barbaric, it was so inhumane that the civilized company didn't talk about it, much less write about it. They didn't want to write about it. The Romans, even though they invented this form of torture and execution, they sometimes attributed it to the lesser people, the Assyrians, the Persians. They said, we couldn't possibly have thought of this. It was them. It must have been them. And yet, many of us today are wearing crosses around our necks. I've seen it tattooed on people's bodies. The cross has now become a symbol of grace, a symbol of love. Something clearly changed with the cross, with the death of Jesus. But it's not just the symbolism of the cross that changed the cross changed everything. The cross changed what we know about God. The cross changed what we think about the world, the way of the world, how we should should think about the world. The cross changed what we think about ourselves, who we are. And Paul reminds this divided church that we need to see the world differently. We need to see the world through the lens of the cross and judge things differently because we are the people of the cross. So he reminds this divided church to think differently, to see things differently, to see and go back to the message of the cross so that they would live in the way of the cross, that they would commit themselves to the cross. Although Hong Kong is uh, Hong Kong and many Asian nations are obsessed with education, I think the uh, the Greeks, ancient Greeks, might have been able to match our obsession. Wisdom was highly valued in that culture. Uh, debates were uh, a national pastime. The ideas of philosophers were, were, were talked about in 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 the marketplace, um, and not just the ideas. But the way that people spoke, the discipline of rhetoric was developed in ancient Greece. Aristotle's theory of rhetoric is actually still taught in the sermon classes, in rhetoric classes all over the world. Such was the esteem given to this discipline. And in that sort of setting, it's understandable that actually people started overlooking Paul and preferring Apollos because Paul was not an impressive speaker. He's the only person that I know in the Bible or in real life um, who almost killed somebody um, by boredom. <laughs> Remember Eutychus who fell asleep and fell off the window while Paul was speaking in Luke's words in Acts uh, chapter 20 while Paul spoke on and on. That is why Apollos, a well-educated man, a well-spoken man, an eloquent man, people started saying, oh, I follow him. 
He was the kind of person, not only impressive in the church, but he was impressive to the world. I follow him. He's my man. Jews demand signs. And uh, Greeks look for wisdom. And we, well, often we're not that different, are we? I don't know if you've done this. As a Christian growing up, I would take a mental note of all these influential, powerful uh, uh, Christians. I don't know if you do this, but, you know, of course, C.S. Lewis, an Oxford Don, John Pokinghorn, a professor of, of mathematical physics in, in Cambridge, Francis Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health in the U.S., Stephen Green, the former uh, chairman of HSBC. There are lots of others. We would take mental notes of these people and would say, oh yeah, that person's a Christian. Because we are impressed by their power, by their wisdom, by their status. And I'm sure if they came to Shatin Church, many of you would come and you would bring others because we are impressed by these things. But if they came to the church and if they spoke from this pulpit, they actually wouldn't say much different uh, from what I'm saying, from what you already know. They wouldn't add too much because they would come and speak about Jesus. They would come and point to the cross with all their wisdom, with all their eloquence, with all the power from their might. They would go and go, look at the cross. That's where the power is. Look at the message of the cross, because they know that human wisdom, human powers, no matter how great they are, they cannot save. Actually, two of these people, Stephen Green and John Pokinghorn, became uh, Anglican ministers in their careers later on, because even having reached the tops of the pinnacle of their profession, they knew that there was something missing. They knew they couldn't lead people to God. God couldn't be there in the, uh, by their own wisdom. They turned to God. In fact, the best of human wisdom actually cannot even recognize God's wisdom. In fact, the, uh, have, you, have you heard the phrase, uh, the, uh, it takes one to know one? It takes one to know one. Um, it's a childish uh, phrase, but I think it's got a lot of truth to it. If you're a chess prodigy, if you know chess really well, you, know, you, you would see these moves that passes over, uh, pass over most people's heads and go, wow, that was a great move. I'm a Korean-American. Uh, if I talk to another Korean-American person, I can sense, I can, I can, the manner of speech and sort of the cadence with which they speak, I can recognize it as Korean-American speech. Uh, that, that's, that, that's our accent. I can recognize it. If you are wise, well, then you're supposed to be able to recognize wisdom. Well, what does it say then about human wisdom? That when God's wisdom comes, they can't recognize it what they see it as a scandal, what they see it as foolishness. They they can't see God's wisdom at all because human wisdom is so far below God's wisdom. They can't even recognize wisdom when they see it. And the real power... There, what God does with the cross is in his wisdom, he sent the cross as a message that saves everyone. A message that's given to everyone to be saved. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. You see, the worldly wisdom, power, rhetorical skills cannot get you to God. and cannot save anyone, but the cross can 
Remember Billy Graham? Billy Graham is estimated, um, his call uh, to come to Christ, three million people, three million people responded to his call to come to Christ. Three million. But have you ever listened to his sermons? You can go, go home and YouTube Billy Graham and his sermons and listen to them. Because if you listen to them, you think, well, what's so different about that? He's not known for his eloquence. He's not known for his wisdom. What he's known for is the simplicity of the cross. What he's known for is presenting this simple message of the cross that says you are a sinner, that you need to repent. God's grace is given freely to you through the cross. And that's the message that is called and and, and had three million people responded to. That simple message of the cross. This must mean that we can't shy away from the message of the cross, even if it sounds like foolishness and scandal to the people outside, those who are perishing, even when things are difficult, when it's difficult to speak of the cross to others. Speaking of the cross isn't easy to outsiders because it is have you having to tell them that they're sinners, that when they see the cross, that's the place that they deserve that they need a savior, that they can't save themselves, it'll make people angry. I'm not a sinner. It'll make things awkward in your office, in your conversations. And yet, that is the message that saves. We can't shy away from the message of the cross. It is the power of God that saves. And because it's also so simple, because this is the message that saves people, we, all of us, can present this message to the world. Some of you might remember Ryan, who is not back in the U.S. Ryan came to church with his wife, Heather, for a while in, 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 in Shatin Church. He did see, asked questions, and for a while he used to come to just church um, week after week. And I get frustrated with him a little bit. Like, uh, why is it? What stops you from becoming a Christian? I invited him for lunch once. I, just, I was determined to answer every question that he had. And so I asked him, please ask me any question that you have about Christianity, please. And so let, 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 let's get this out of the way. <laughs> so he, answered, he asked all the, these questions. I tried to, I think I answered uh, these questions one by one pretty admirably. At the end of that lunch, I said to him, what stops you from becoming a Christian? I don't know. I'm still not convinced. Um, I'm still not convinced. And I went away so frustrated. Again, what do I have to do? And yet, that evening, I got a text from his wife, Heather. Ryan had become a Christian when I asked him how. Heather said something like, well, I told him that Jesus died for him. I told him that there is part of him that's moved by this. I told him that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He needs to trust him, trust in Jesus. That's all he needed to do. And apparently, that's what he did that evening. (laughs) That's all there was to it. He said, she said, just look at the cross. That moves you. You should trust in Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he did. Apparently, he cried and cried and became a new person in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's the simple and the foolish message of the cross that is power of God to save. We can do this and we must do this. We must present this message to the world. Church, preach the message of the cross. And if the message of the cross seems foolish, actually, the way that God works also seems foolish too. 
often the way of God the, is the way of the cross. And so it, it looks foolishness to us. Take a look at verse 27. Look whom God chose. It's God who chose. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Most people in the Corinth church, Corinthian church were, were lonely, lowly, weak and poor, verse 26 and it wasn't just in Corinth. Rodney Stark, a uh, histo- uh, sociologist, historian, uh, documented how slaves, women, uh, um, uh, people of low ranks were attracted to Christianity early on because they were lifted up in Christ. But that's actually still true to a large extent around the world today. Yes, Christianity has left its cultural mark. Yes, there is, it's got great influence. But for, for the biggest constituents of, of, of Christianity is made up of the unimpressive, people who are not of noble birth, people who are not wise by world's standards. Most churches are less than 50 people. Most churches aren't impressive. Most pastors aren't impressive. Although Corinthians uh, Corinthian church was lowly. Although God had chosen them, they didn't want to stay that way. Maybe it was Apollos and his eloquence, his learnedness that, that, that made them think, oh, I want to be associated with that instead. Unlike Paul, once again, I want to be attracted, I want to be associated with this, somebody who has this sort of power, rhetorical skills. Again, we do this too, don't we? We, I, you know, I, I'm sure you might have heard people say things like, oh, my pastor, my pastor was a high-flying lawyer be- before he became a, uh, became a pastor. Or he's written many books, and, and uh, uh, all people around the world read him. Uh, the people in our church, we attract politicians, we attract uh, entertainers, people in the media. They come to our church. Come and check out our church where I go to this church. We're tempted in the same way, aren't we? To those who are tempted in this way, Paul reminds them that God chose them over the powerful, over the wise, over the privileged to show that these are nothing to God. Verse 28, to nullify, to make nothing, to bring nothing, to, uh, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no one may boast. Instead of rich and the powerful, God chose the poor to say money can't buy access to God. Instead of the wise um, who quotes Plato and Aristotle, God chose the simple to show that the simple faith in in the cross is what saves. No one, no one can, uh, no one can buy what Christ gives. Take a look at verse 30. What do we get? Righteousness, holiness, redemption. Our salvation is not something that we can buy. Our salvation is given to all freely to those who believe in Jesus. God has chosen you, Paul says, to show that the world wisdom and power are nothing to him. To show that God's, God's grace through the cross is everything. Shout in church. On the other hand, 
by, I think, virtue of being an English-speaking church in Hong Kong, is actually an impressive church in many ways. The people here are fairly impressive people. You know, I think if you fainted here in, in this church, we have so many doctors, we wouldn't just say, is there a doctor here? I think we could say, is there a specialist in neurology here? And somebody would speak up. This is why, though, we need to hear this message all the more. Because people who are impressive, people who have the worldly standings, will forget that they should judge themselves, by the, not by the standards of the world, but by how God judges us. Verse 26, uh, verse 26, thankfully says, and not any of you, uh, but not many of you were influential and wise and of noble birth. Some of them were of these, and God saved them too. But we need to hear this reminder even more because we are much more tempted to boast of our own achievements and strengths. Remember, none of it matters to God. And let me put it this way. I want to go, isn't it tiring to live in the world where you are judged by the standards of the world. Isn't it so tiring? Isn't it so tiring to constantly be told that we need to achieve more and more to be worth something? Isn't it tiring to, say that you, to, to hear that you need to measure up more and more, that you need to be perfect in every way, that you need to accomplish all these things to, to be worth something, to be as counted as somebody If it's so tiring, why go back to the way of the world? When the cross says, you are someone. On the cross, you are affirmed and loved. No matter who you are, no matter how righteous and holy or someone of a great achievement or no achievement, you are someone loved by God on the cross. That's what the cross tells us. That our righteousness, the things that matter most to us, that our righteousness, that our holiness, our redemption, that our future is freely given by the grace of Christ. That's who we are. Why go back to the tiring way of the world? Church, what forms the bedrock of your identity? What do you boast about? We all do this. If you're insulted, if you're slighted some way, or if you don't get the job that you want, or if you fail at something, or something like this, we all go back to something at the back of our minds to tell ourselves, actually, I am worth somebody, right? I'm worth this. I'm a senior partner in this. I've done this in the past. I went to Harvard, or whatever it is. What do you go back to? What is it that forms the bedrock of your identity, We might not say it out loud, but we think it. Friends, we are in Christ. His righteousness, his holiness, his redemption is given through Christ. All that we value the most, all that that is most important is given freely by Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Therefore, verse 31, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. I've told you that uh, Paul was not an eloquent speaker, but that's not because of his lack of learning or his lack of intelligence. Actually, we see that in this passage that it was a deliberate choice that he's made. He deliberately wanted to draw his attention away from himself and to the richness of the cross. Take a look at chapter 2. 
verses 2 to 3, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolved to know nothing. He came in weakness for a reason. He resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's no self-promotion here. There's no, uh, I was trained under the best rabbi. But then, uh, uh, come and hear about how I converted. Or he doesn't go, I debated with the best and the best around the world and come and hear me speak about Jesus. Although he could have also spoken with the authority of an apostle. He was an apostle whom God called. He doesn't. Instead of demanding a speaking fee, uh, to, be, uh, demand, uh, to demand that he be supported uh, by the church, he actually works as a tent maker. He, he doesn't have to. He can demand these things from the church, but he doesn't because he wanted to point away from himself, but to the cross, to Jesus, to the message of the cross. In his words, verse 5, so that faith, their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So that if anyone turned to Christ, it wasn't because of his skills, of his influence, of his power, but it's because of the message of Jesus and its power to save what a contrast to the prosperity preachers who say to uh, who ask their followers to donate money so they could buy nice cars, a jet plane, or whatever to project power and success to the world. They say in the name of, of Jesus for, for the sake of the gospel, but of course they're not preaching the gospel. <laughs> they're not preaching the cross. They're preaching success. They're preaching uh, wealth. And sometimes we also fall into the same temptation as well. We sometimes think that we need to be wise. We need to be successful. We need to, be, to achieve. We need to be at the top of our uh, career in order to point people to Jesus. We often justify our worldly ambition in this way as well. If we think, we think if we raise our children to be doctors and lawyers, then the world will be impressed with Christ and the cross. Well, I think often they're impressed with the kids. They're impressed that you were able to raise, them, raise the kids in this way, but they're none the wiser about the cross. We think if we reach the pinnacle of our profession and become CEOs and whatever, we think that we might be able to better point people to Jesus and the opportunity might come and, and that might, you might be able to do that. But often it doesn't. People are none the wiser about the cross, but they're impressed with you and what you've achieved. Instead, though, when we raise our children to care for different things, things that the world does not care about, people take notice. When we care about not how we're judged by the world, but what, we, what God thinks of us, people take notice. When we forego our privileges and power in order to serve those who are deemed unworthy, people who are nobodies in this world, the kind of work that Vayam uh, Chun Moon is doing. If you go out there, feed the poor, this is not the work that the rich and the powerful uh, do. The world takes notice because that's the way of the cross. Because that is the way of the cross. A, com- a commentator summarizes it this way. The contrast in 118 to 25 may be summed up in, terminal, uh, in terms of theology of glory versus a theology of the cross. The former leads to equations between, between 
true Christianity and specific political parties or agenda, material wealth or heavy-handed leadership. The latter seeks to bind up the brokenhearted, empower the disenfranchised, love the unlovely of our world. In short, 118 to 2.5 drives people to the level ground at the foot of the cross. And historically, this has been true. The world noticed when Christians went out and built leper colonies, taking care of people that nobody cared for. When we built hospitals, uh, not, not just for the, the rich, when we built schools, not, not for the rich and the powerful, but when we built schools for people who nobody cared for. People, the world took notice when we took care of the widows and the orphans, when we love not just one another, but the unlovable in the world. When we go out there and live in the way of the cross, people notice the cross. Church, we are a people of the cross. When we live in foolish ways, they will notice the foolishness. But some who are being saved will notice its power, power to save all people. Church, will you live in the way of the cross? Will you commit to preaching the message of the cross, living in the way of the cross? Will you commit yourselves to the cross? So not us, but God's power to save will be spoken. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness, out of Hong Kong, to be your people in Hong Kong. Lord, help us to live in the way of the cross preaching the message of the cross, to be committed to this different way of life. Lord, that that the world will notice uh, the, the foolishness of the cross, but it's great power to save as well. Lord, I don't know what this means exactly for all of us here to, in the way of application, what it means uh, for us to serve and to live in the way of the cross in our positions, in our, uh, in our jobs, in our families, in our friendships. But Lord, by the power of your spirit, lead us to the path of the cross. Help us to once again point to your greatness and that you might be great and that we might grow smaller. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.